0: How's everybody feeling? Good. Are you happy to be in the house of God this morning? Yes. Awesome. I want to give you, uh, I want to get right into the word. I'm just, I don't know why, but I have a a unique level of excitement about bringing the word of the Lord to you this morning. And uh, I'm just very excited about what the Lord has to say because I think it's very important. I want to give you Romans chapter 8, verse 16. Romans chapter 8, verse 16. And I don't want you to turn there because... um, this this is so short you can all memorize it in like thirty seconds. It simply says this: the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Mm. Let me say it again: the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Try to say that with me: the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit. That we are children of God. Try it again. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that You would speak to us by the power of Your Word and Your Spirit. We give You praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This is week 15 of our Book of Acts series, and so we're in the Book of Acts, chapter 15. I'm not going to read the whole chapter to you as we've done in the past. Instead, I'm just going to read to you verses 6 through 11. Acts, chapter 15, verses 6 through 11, then I'll explain to you the context, and we'll listen and see what the Lord has to say to us through this passage of Scripture today. Starting at verse 6, the Scripture says, Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith." Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Now, let me tell you what's happening in this passage of Scripture. This is Acts chapter 15. Now, if you've been following our series, you know that in Acts chapter 13, Barnabas goes down to Tarsus and finds this guy Saul, who we call Paul, the Apostle Paul, and brought him back to the church at Antioch because there was a revival going on in Antioch, and Barnabas said, you know, you guys need more leadership. This church needs more leadership, and I got just the guy for you. You remember this guy. In Acts chapter 9, this guy Saul had met Jesus on the road to, to Damascus. Imagine, the way he got saved and became a Christian was he met Jesus himself. He didn't go to church and hear a sermon. He was on the road to Damascus to kill some Christians, and he met Jesus yeah. himself. And what we're going to discover is that if you are saved, if you know Jesus, it's not because you went to church, but because you met Jesus yeah. yourself. That's right. Maybe he didn't appear to you on the road and knock you off your, your donkey, right? But he appeared in your heart. Yeah. Yeah. He awakened your soul, yeah. and he made himself known to you, and that's why you believe, right? So... Uh, but 14 years had passed since Saul of Tarsus had given his life to Jesus Christ and he was kind of stuck over in Tarsus and uh, Barnabas goes down to Tarsus and brings him up to Antioch and introduces him to the church at Antioch at the end of Acts chapter 12 and he becomes one of the key leaders in Antioch and then in Acts chapter 13 they have this epic world-changing prayer meeting where the Holy Spirit speaks and says, separate to me Paul and Barnabas for the work to which I've called them. At the end of that prayer meeting Paul and Barnabas become missionaries imagine you go to church not intending to become a missionary but by the end of the service you get ordained and sent out to the mission field like that's what happened to these brothers right they did not come expecting to be missionaries but by the time that prayer meeting was over they were getting ordained and they were being sent out off to the mission field and out of all of the missionary journeys of Paul and Barnabas uh you notice when you look in the, in the New Testament, you see books of the Bible like Romans and 1st and 2nd Corinthians and Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians and Colossians. You know, all of those represent churches in the ancient Near Eastern world, most of which were founded by Paul. That is, most of those churches were born because of that prayer meeting. Because Paul and Barnas were sent out of that prayer meeting to go be missionaries in the Greco-Roman world. And as they went out, they planted these churches all over the place, and then they would come back and teach the churches. They'd go to another city and plant a church, and they would get persecuted there, and they would get stoned there, and then they would go to the next city and preach the gospel and plant a church there, and they'd get persecuted there, and they'd get stoned there. Then they'd leave that city and go to the next city, and then they'd come back, and they'd encourage the the church that they planted in the last city, and then they'd go to the next city, and they just kept going city to city to city, planting new churches, encouraging the people. It was crazy that they didn't plant a church and then stay there for years. They'd plant a church and be out in like three weeks, mm. be gone to the next place. Like, and then they'd come back a few months later and encourage the church, and then be out to the next place. But it was like this This was the beginning of the missionary work of the church, mm. And this is the birth of it, right? So what's happening when we get to Acts chapter 15 is that Paul has all of these churches all over the world, all over the Greco-Roman world at that time. Most of them are Gentiles. Most of the people who have joined these churches are Gentiles, meaning Mm non-Jews. Now, you understand that Jesus was Jewish. Mm -hmm. And he presented himself as the Jewish Messiah, and Judaism is the religion of the Jews. So the early disciples at the founding of the church saw Christianity as the fulfillment of Judaism, not as a separate religion. They did not see themselves as separate from the Jews. That's why they went to the temple and they worshiped every day. They even went and attended the sacrifices that were happening at the temple. They saw themselves as the fulfillment. Of Judaism And Jesus, as the fulfillment of everything that was written in the Old Testament, all of the law and all of the prophets, Jesus was the fulfillment and the culmination of it. Yeah. The question that they had not considered was, is this for Gentiles too? Or must they be circumcised and become Jews in order to get in on this? And God begins to answer that question first in Acts chapter 10. With the centurion who is praying, he's a Gentile, but he's praying to God. He's a Gentile, he doesn't know God, but he's praying to God. Do you know that there are people who don't know God, but still seek God? Mm. Who don't have any context, but they know that there's a hunger and a desire in their heart to know God, and they seek God. And an angel appeared to the centurion and said, you know what? God can see that you're seeking Him authentically and sincerely. So here's what we're going to do for you. We need you to go find this dude, Peter. And whatever he tells you, that's what you're going to do. And so Cornelius sends for Peter, and Peter shows up in the home of Cornelius, and what he preaches to them is the Gospel. He tells them about Jesus Christ. And they all believe the message, and before he can finish his sermon, the Holy Spirit fell on all of them, and they all start speaking in tongues. And Peter was blown away. He's like, wait a minute, don't they need to get circumcised first? Mm. Don't they need to change the way they dress? Mm. Don't they need to take the bloody steaks out of their house? Because there's blood there. The Jews wouldn't eat that. Mm. Don't they need to go through their house and take out anything that resembles any kind of idolatry? Like, isn't there some stuff that they need to do before they get saved? How is it that the Holy Spirit can fall on people who know nothing? Mm. Yeah but they simply have opened their hearts to Jesus. People who have not yet made any change Mm -hmm. don't even know that they're supposed to make any change in their life, but they've simply opened their heart to Jesus. People who might have been engaging in gross sin last night and immorality last night, but yet the Holy Spirit fell on them today. Why? Simply because they opened their heart to Jesus. And that experience of seeing the Holy Spirit fall on this group of individuals... Who were completely outside of any covenant that God ever made. Hmm. But yet seeing them brought in by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Simply because they believed the message about Jesus. This radically changed Peter's theology. And and when Peter came back to the early church, we talked about it. They were all upset. They were like, what are you doing going into the home of Gentiles and eating with them? He's like, no, 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 no. He gave all of them the Holy Spirit. Hmm. The same way he gave us the Holy Spirit. Wow. And they were like, well, we can't say nothing to that. <laughs> it was crazy. So now you got Paul, who's going all throughout the Greco-Roman world, preaching the gospel everywhere, and people are getting saved everywhere. But there were a group of Pharisees called the Judaizers that came from Jerusalem and they followed Paul around. What they did was, as soon as Paul left the city, they'd come into the city and come into the church that Paul planted, and tell all the believers in the church, "You know, y'all ain't saved yet, right?" I said, "Why not?" So let me see your foreskins. Okay. <laughs> Drop, lift, lift the skirt. No, you ain't saved. Still got that foreskin? You ain't saved. So get get the knife out, Jamal. Get the shank. We're about to get some folks saved today. (laughs) Telling the believers that you got to get cut in order to get saved. You got to get circumcised in order to get saved. And you got to keep the whole law of Moses, or else you're not saved. And when Paul found out about it, finally, he pretended to leave a city. And waited for them to come into the church. And then he came in and was like, what are y'all talking about? And started a big argument. And in front of the church, Paul is disputing with these people saying, absolutely not. They don't have to keep the law of Moses and get circumcised. You religious bunch of religious hypocrites. You need to go back to Jerusalem where you came from. Mm -hmm. And they had such a big heated debate. And Paul was so mad about it. If you really want to see what Paul thinks about it, go read the book of Galatians. He talked about it in the book of Galatians. He said that those Judaizers were preaching another gospel. And he wrote to the Galatian church. He said, if anybody preaches you a gospel other than the one I gave you, he said, let them be anathema. Literally, Paul says, let them go to hell. Paul says, if anybody comes up in your church preaching a gospel to you other than the one I taught, you tell them I said go to hell. (laughs) That's literally what Paul said. And then he said it again. He said, I said it again as I said before. If anybody comes up in your church preaching a gospel other than the one I preach to you, you tell them I said go to hell. He was serious about it. So then they said, you guys better go to Jerusalem together and talk to the apostles and make sure that you guys get on the same page about what it means to be saved. Right, right. So they go back to Jerusalem together, Paul and Barnabas, and then all these Judaizers, and they call the apostles together, and they have what has come to be called the Jerusalem Council. Huh. And at the Jerusalem Council, they bring out this question. Can the Gentiles be saved without being circumcised and following the whole law of Moses? And there's all of this argumentation and dispute. And the Judaizers are stamping their feet going, They must be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. (laughs) And finally, Peter stands up. And the passage we read at the beginning. And Peter says, Brothers, you guys remember that it was me that God chose to first preach the gospel to the Gentiles. He's talking about Acts chapter 10. He said, and do you remember what happened there? Mm. None of them had to get circumcised. Mm. None of them had to keep the law of Moses, but God gave them the Holy Spirit mm. before they got circumcised. Right, yeah. right. Before they tried to keep the law of Moses. Yeah. And so Peter says, if God gave them the Holy Spirit without keeping these demands, then who are we to test God? Yeah. Mm. And for the, furthermore, Why do you want to put a burden on them which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Wow, that's good. You hear what Peter was able to say? Do you know what you're saying, that they got to keep the law of Moses? Any of you kept the whole law of Moses? right. You never picked up a stick on the Sabbath? Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Never accidentally mixed some milk and some meat? Mm. Never looked at a woman to lust after her, Ever? ever told a lie, not even a small lie? Why do you want to put a burden on them which neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? Right. Paul Peter says, listen to what you're saying. You can't be saved unless you keep the whole, the whole law of Moses. Then none of us are saved. Right. Right. No, 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 no. We're saved by our faith in Jesus Christ. And so Peter says, here was the mark of their salvation. First of all, the means of their salvation was their faith in Jesus Christ. But the mark of their salvation was the coming of the Spirit. Right, right, right. Yes. Look at what happened in Caesarea. In Caesarea. I said, Caesarea. <laughs> <laughs> they heard the gospel, they believed it, and their faith became the means of their salvation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And once they believed it, the Holy Spirit came, and the Holy Spirit became the mark of their salvation and when I saw the mark I knew that there was the means yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. Peter how do you know that they were saved because they received the Holy Spirit I saw the Holy Spirit come as the mark of their salvation and where you see the mark you know there is the means good. Yeah. that's good because the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit mm. that we are children of God yeah, yeah. This guy, John Wesley, was born in 1701. When he was 34 years old in 1735, he and his brother Charles decided they wanted to be missionaries to the nation of Georgia. Not the Georgia in the United States, but the Georgia that's over there by Russia and Azerbaijan and the Black Sea and all of that. And so they get on a boat and they're heading over across the sea. But in the, in the middle of the journey, in the middle of this journey across the sea, there was a storm that hit the boat. And it hit that ship so hard that it looked like everyone on board was going to lose their lives. Mm. And at one point, this wave broke over the boat with such force that it smashed the sails and the, main, uh, the mast. Mm. The mainsails and the mast just smashed it to pieces. And all of the Englishmen aboard the ship began screaming all the way down to the children. We're going to die. They're screaming. Ah, we're going to die. But there was a group of German Christians called the Moravians. And these Moravians sat together, held hands, and peacefully began to sing hymns. And John Wesley looked at all of the Englishmen and saw that there was the fear of death in their eyes. But then he looked at the Moravians and saw that all the way down to the little children, there was complete peace and no fear. And when the storm was over, John Wesley went to one of the Moravian pastors named Pastor Spangenberg. And he asked him, Why is it, how is it that all of you were able to be in such peace in the midst of this storm? And Pastor Spangenberg looked at Wesley and said, First, I must ask you a couple of questions. He said, Do you have the witness in yourself? And Wesley said, What? And Spangenberg said, Does the Holy Spirit bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God? And he looked so confused. He said, What? And Pastor Spangenberg said, Sir, do you know Jesus Christ? And he said, I know that he is the savior of the world. And the, pa- the pastor said, yes, but has he saved you? Mm. And he said, I hope that he has died to save me. Mm. And the pastor smiled at him and said, good day, sir, and walked away. And that shook Wesley to the core. Mm. Because he was on that boat on his way to become a missionary mm. in Georgia. Mm. But he realized at that moment that he was going to convert the the Georgians, but who was going to convert Wesley? Mm, He realized that he was going to help others find Christ, but he himself had not found Christ. He didn't have any assurance in his heart. He didn't have any witness of the Spirit in his heart that he was actually a child of God. Mm. And he went over there to Georgia and had fruitless ministry for a couple of years and then got on the boat and came back. Mm. But on his way home, he wrote in his journal, I went to reach the Georgians, but who will reach me? What he began to hunger for and cry out for was the witness of the Spirit in his heart. He kept thinking about those Moravians on the boat. He kept saying to himself and saying to the Lord, I want to be like those Moravians. I want to be able to sit in the midst of a storm in which it seems apparent that I'm going to lose my life. And I want to be able to just sit peacefully and sing hymns. I want to be able to live without fear and anxiety. I need that witness of the Holy Spirit in my heart. Whatever that means, I need that. Mm And he shares about his Aldersgate experience a couple of years later, where he actually didn't want to go to this meeting. But some Moravian friends, once again, those good old Moravians, (laughs) they encouraged him to go, and so he came. And it was a reading of the preface to Luther's commentary on the book of Romans, which it's kind of like an academic tone. Like, I would not encourage any of you to go to a reading of the preface to Luther's commentary on the book of Romans. I would never torture you by reading something that to you. But Wesley goes to this reading, and in the middle of it, all of a sudden, he said that his heart was strangely warmed, and he knew that he was a child of God. I want to ask you a question. Do you have the witness in yourself? Mm. Does the Spirit Himself bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God? Is there something on the inside of you that bears witness to the truth? You see, a lot of people claim to be Christians, but don't have the witness on the inside of themselves. The work of the Spirit, the clear work of the Spirit on the inside. A lot of people think they're Christians because they go to church. Mm. A lot of people think they're Christians because they go to church for a long time. That's like thinking you're a Mexican because you've been going to a Mexican restaurant for a long time. (laughs) That's like, I know somebody who thinks she's Filipino because she's lived in the Philippines for a long time. But she's still white. (laughs) But the witness of the Holy Spirit is the mark of the, your faith in Christ. Warm. And when I'm talking about the witness of the Holy Spirit, I'm not talking about the gift of tongues. Yeah. That's right. I'm not talking about a gift of the Spirit. I'm not talking about prophecy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about falling out on the floor. I'm simply talking about the inner work yeah. of the Spirit yeah. in your heart, on the yeah. inside of you, that says, I am a child yeah. of God. Yeah. And it's the Holy Spirit bearing witness to that work of grace. Yeah. Yeah. I am... I am a child of God. I'll never forget when that moment happened for me. I was probably seven or eight years old. I was at church. My church was a very formal Pentecostal church. If you put those two things together, right? Very formal. Communion Sunday was the first Sunday of every month. And I used to love Communion Sunday because it was a clinic in order. My pastor gave a clinic on church order every communion sunday all of the ushers and there was probably about 100 ushers on the usher board all of them showed up for communion sunday and as the the first like several rows of seats were were reserved for the usher board and just as the, the, the worship ended, the, the ushers would process in in two different rows on the back, and they would fill the, the, uh, those, those rows. And then at communion time, a certain number of them would come up to the communion table and stand at either side, and they would hand the... I mean, it was just... It was precise. It was beautiful. It was... It was I always loved Communion Sunday for that reason. But it was also very spiritual. It wasn't just the order of it. And I remember one Communion Sunday our pastor every every month at communion sunday would say we would read that passage there in First Corinthians 10 that says, therefore a man should examine himself. Like, before you come to the Lord's table and just partake of the bread and the wine, you better examine yourself, because Paul said, some people have partaken in an unworthy manner and partaken death to themselves, and because of that, a lot of you guys got sick and some of you are dead. Literally, Paul tells the Corinthians, God killed some people at your church for taking communion wrong. So you should be very careful how you take communion. And he said, here's how, not, he did not say, by the way, this is a side, side note. He did not say that it was an unworthy partaker. He said they partook in an unworthy manner. And the unworthy manner was simply having divisions in their heart against one another. They took the rich people and sat them at the head of the table and gave them gold, plates, and silverware. They took the poor people and threw them on the floor and gave them little pixie cups. There was... uh, a division between themselves and a judging of one another and a superiority. That was an unworthy manner of partaking. And there are many ways of unworthy manners of partaking of the body and blood of the Lord. But Paul said, here's what you do. Before you partake, examine yourself. And so what our pastor used to do is say, everybody get on your knees. Before we would partake, there would be this, this season of maybe three to five minutes of just examining yourself. Yeah. Getting on your knees and checking your heart and making sure that you're going to do this in full assurance of faith. And then the communion would come. But during that moment, that particular Sunday, I grew up in a Christian home. I believed in Jesus from the time I was born practically. Practically. But for some reason, this particular morning, when the pastor said, Get on your knees and examine yourself, I got on my knees, and all of a sudden, it became real wow. on the inside. It was real, mm-hmm. it wasn't just what I was taught. It's now who I know. Yeah. All of a sudden, I met with God. For the first time, I had a real meeting and a real encounter with God. And I was so overwhelmed by his love that I just started crying and weeping and weeping and weeping. And I remember thinking to myself, i got to stop this crying before people make fun of me. Because, see, I, they called me crybaby at school already because uh. I was so sensitive. Uh. I would cry in a second. <laughs> and I thought my uncle especially was going to call me a crybaby. Uh. So I got to stop this crying, but I couldn't stop and I just, <laughs> ah, ah, And I'm just crying and crying because I'm like, why am I crying? I'm not sad, I'm happy. Yeah. I kept thinking that inside, but the tears just wouldn't stop and I just I cried probably for 30, 40 minutes, even I'm taking communion, I'm still crying. Ah, <laughs> ah. Ah! And I'm crying and crying and crying like Pokemon tears are just like flying out like just rivers of tears, you know, and I'm thinking they're going to make fun of me and I'll never forget it. As soon as the service was over, literally the moment the last amen was uttered, all of the tears on my face dried up immediately. And I felt my face and I was like, oh my God, the tears are gone. There's no sign that I've been crying. It was like the Lord cared so much about this little boy's heart that he didn't want him to be embarrassed. That moment changed my life. I left there going, he's real. He's real to me, he's real. From that day until this, the spirit himself bears witness with my spirit that I am a child of God. From that day forward, there was no question. It's not what I've been taught, it's who I know. There's nothing like seeing the witness of the spirit take place before your very eyes. I remember the day Jennifer gave her life to the Lord. You could see the witness of the spirit on her. She was sitting at the back, and I gave the invitation to receive Christ. And she said yes in her heart. And she said the prayer by herself. She comes up to the front after the service, and the tears are just flowing and flowing. And she's like, I said yes. I said, I said yes. I said she was like, she could barely hold it together. Why? The witness of the spirit. It wasn't. See, the lie is that it's just an emotional moment. Right, right. That's not emotion. That's the Holy Spirit. And yes, there's emotion involved. But the emotion is a, a, it's a byproduct yes. of what's happening on the inside. And what's happening on the inside is that the spirit himself yeah. is bearing witness with your spirit yeah. that you are a child of God. Amen. Do you have the witness in yourself? Amen. Amen. Do you have the witness in yourself? I recently led a man to Christ just a couple days ago at, a few days ago at, uh, at, at California Pizza Kitchen in Emeryville. <laughs> wow. And he, you know, I sat and talked with him for a couple hours. And, and uh, I, I'll never forget the moment where everything that he was sharing, he had all of this stuff, all of these ideas and, and things in his mind and heart. But there was this moment, this devastating moment where the truth of the gospel broke through. Wow. And I could just see that whole edifice of all of that stuff just crumble. Wow. And at, for a moment, he looked devastated. Oh. But then all of a sudden, and I said at the end of the conversation, I said, I got to go. But I want you. To think about opening your heart to Jesus and receiving him as your Lord and Savior. I said, but I got to go. Let's talk again. And as I stood up, he stood up and said, I want to do it right now. I want to open my heart right now. I said, let's do it. Let's do it. I was so excited. I took him right outside and we stood in front of Pizza Kitchen, California Pizza Kitchen. I took his hand. he took my hand, and he said the and it wasn't just that he said the prayer, but he opened his heart. Yeah, yeah that's it. You see, it's not about the prayer. That's right. It's about whether or not you open your heart. A lot of people say the prayer but don't actually open their hearts to Jesus. That's right. And you know there's people who open their hearts to Jesus without saying the prayer. Yeah, yeah that's right. What happens on the inside is so much more important than what happens on the outside. And you know what's crazy? I saw him a day later. And when I saw him the next day, he walks up to me with this big smile on his face. You could see the joy and you could feel it beaming and radiating from it. I'm like, you've got the witness in you. That's the witness of the Holy Spirit in you. Yeah. Come on, somebody. Yeah. I mean, that's, there's nothing more crazy, nothing more powerful than that. There's nothing I love seeing, nothing that gives me more joy, nothing that brings me more satisfaction and joy in life than to see somebody Open their heart to Jesus. LaJuan is sitting over there. Y'all don't know Lawan, but I remember the day he opened his heart to Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Amen. I'll never forget the day that he opened his heart to Jesus. Amen. It's like you could see the Holy Spirit resting on him. Wow. It was crazy. Pastor Daniels was preaching in Emeryville that night. It was a Thursday thunder. Amen. And uh, Pastor Daniels is my spiritual father. For those of you that don't know, but he, matter of fact, we need to have him come preach here at Soda. Yeah, come on, Y'all yeah. need to hear from him. Yeah. Yeah. But it was a Thursday night, and uh, Pastor Daniels was there. And, and at the end of the service, I remember he just walked over to LaJuan and he looked up at him and he said, "Look at this man of God." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and I thought he's not even saved. <laughs> what you talking about, man of God? <laughs> I thought, I, thought, I thought, Bishop, Bishop, you need more discernment. <laughs> that, that, that was what I thought. But something happened in LaJuan when Pastor Daniel said, look at this man of God. Something happened on the inside of him. And I remember the next time LaJuan came in and we gave the invitation to receive Christ, he raised his hand. But that change happened that night where he opened his heart like it was a moment. And it was something that the Holy Spirit did on the inside of him. Do you have the witness in yourself? You see, the witness of the Holy Spirit is so important because the witness of the Holy Spirit transcends your personal quest for perfection. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. See, a lot of us, we try to have confidence in our faith in Christ based on our works. yeah, Based on the fact that we keep doing everything right. right. As long as I don't look at porn, then I feel like I'm still a Christian. Right. As long as I don't tell a lie... I feel like I'm still a Christian as long as I haven't gossiped about anybody. But then as soon as you fall into one of those traps again, now all of a sudden the devil comes and starts whispering in your ear going, see, you totally messed it up. Mm -hmm. You totally messed. You can't even walk with God. You can't even call yourself a Christian anymore. You've lost everything. You've messed up. It's all fallen apart and it's all gone. But you know what's greater than your own track record? is the witness of the Holy Spirit on the inside of your heart. The witness of the Spirit is there even after you've messed up. There's still a witness in your heart that says, but I'm still a child of God, which means that there's still hope. It means that he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. You see, it took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars, how loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me. That's a song we used to sing when I was little. He's still working on me. Seven days he created the heavens and the earth, but he's been working on me for 42 years. How loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me. But through it all, through every struggle, through every trial, through every failure, do you know what does not change? The spirit himself bears witness with my spirit that I am a child of God. Do you have the witness in yourself? Peter says, we're not going to put a burden on these people. We're not going to tell these people, now you got to be perfect. Yeah, mm-hmm. Now that you've come to Jesus, everything has to be hunky-dory in your life, and you got to do everything right, and you got to be perfect in every way, shape, or form. No, 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 we're not going to put that burden. You know what we're going to tell them? Walk in the Spirit. Mm. Mm. You've received the witness of the Holy Spirit. You've received the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. Now walk in Him. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Walk in Him. Maintain that. Yeah. Mm. Steward. The witness of the Spirit. You see, the stewardship, the, the, the witness of the Spirit requires a stewardship. Yeah. It requires a stewardship. In times in my life when I feel like that witness seems to to decrease, I've got to go back to the Father and say, Father, renew the witness of the Spirit in my life and steward it. The witness of the Spirit works in both positive and negative ways. Positively, the witness of the Spirit assures me that I'm a child of God. But negatively, the witness of the Spirit alerts me when I'm stepping outside of the Father's heart. And whenever I'm getting ready to do something that offends the Father, the witness of the Spirit says, Son, don't do that. It'll grieve your Father." this heart son don't do that the witness of the spirit is the law written upon the heart yeah. not on tablets of stone but God writes his law on your heart the witness of the spirit there's certain things I can't do even though they're not in the bible It says don't do this it's in my heart that says don't do this yeah. Yeah. it's not just a violation of my conscience It's a violation of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. in my heart. And I know it would violate him. And sometimes we even feel so far away uh, from even the knowledge that I'm breaking God's heart. And that's where we begin to to steward that witness of the Spirit again. I've got to come back to the Father and say, Father, renew the witness of the Spirit in my life. God, for some reason, I don't feel it when I step out of your heart. For some reason, I don't feel it when I break your heart. For some reason, I can break your heart and have no remorse. God, I need the renewal of the the witness of the Spirit. In my heart. You see, there's four stages to your walk with Christ. The first stage is called awakening. The second stage is called purgation. The third stage is called illumination. And the fourth stage is called union. In the awakening stage, God makes you aware of the fact that you desperately need him. You came to Christ because there was an awakening that happened in your heart. And if you have not yet come to Christ, it's because that awakening has not yet transpired in your hearts. And some of you might be in between where that awakening has already begun and you know that you need him, you just have not found him yet. You see, seeking God is the result of awakening. When that awakening happens in your heart and you become aware of the fact that you desperately need God, you start to seek Him. Mm -hmm. And that awakening season culminates in the witness of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And the witness of the Holy Spirit leads you into the purgation season. And that purgation phase of your walk with Christ is the season by which the Holy Spirit purges you. Where he starts combing through your life with a fine tooth comb. And he starts removing stuff from your heart. And it's not even about right or wrong. It's about helpful or unhelpful. See, all things might be lawful for you, but not all things are helpful. And the Holy Spirit begins to purge your life. He begins to comb through your life and say, son, I'm going to take this away. This is not helpful. Daughter, I'm going to take this away. This is not helpful. My child, I'm going to take this away. This is going to harm you in the long run. This is going to prevent you from entering into my best for your life. So I'm Going to remove this from your life. And the purgation, that, that purgation phase, it culminates in the ongoing indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm sorry. It culminates in the death of the flesh. Huh. That is, you go through the season of purgation, and at the end of that season, you experience the death of the flesh. And when you experience the death of the flesh, what you're experiencing are the things that you used to war with, you war with no more. Yeah. There's no more war. The warfare is over because that part of you that longed for and desired those things is dead. And then the next stage is called the illumination stage. And the illumination stage is where God begins to speak to you. And He begins to give you revelation and insight where you begin to go into the Word of God. And because your mind and heart are not cluttered with all of these temptations, now all of a sudden there's a new freedom to experience God, to pursue God, to seek God, to study His Word, to hear from God. And you start getting revelation and insight and stuff that you used to battle to get to. All of a sudden you feel like you're just on this mountaintop of glory and you're receiving from God. And the culmination of that season is the abiding fullness of the Holy Spirit. Meaning your experience of the Spirit is no longer this, this moment of fullness followed by an extended period of emptiness and then a moment of fullness followed by an extended period of emptiness and then a moment of fullness. It's no longer mountaintop after mountaintop, but suddenly you find that you take the wings of the eagle and you're carried in the in the sky. I, I read one guy who talked about that, that, that culmination period where he experienced the fullness of the Spirit. He said, where? Whereas I felt like I used to have to carry my water supply, now I feel like a river has picked me up and carried me. Mm. And then the final stage is called union with God. And the culmination of that stage is heaven. Is yeah. <laughs> when you go to heaven, where you become one with God. What you find is the the awakening stage and the purgation stage are actually cyclical. It's not like you go through it once and then you never go through it again. You go through an awakening stage and then there's a witness of the Spirit and then you enter into this purgation stage and then there's the death of the flesh and then suddenly the Holy Spirit cycles you back into an awakening stage where you become aware again that you need God in a new way at a new level, at a level that you weren't aware of before and then all of a sudden there's a new witness of the Spirit and then He takes you back into this purging stage where He takes stuff out of your life that He didn't take out in the last stage. In the midst of that, he starts giving you some illumination. And the Holy Spirit, all of these stages, they work together to bring you from one place of awakening to another place of awakening. From one place of purging to another place of purging. From one place of illumination to another place of illumination. Mm. But what drives you forward at the end of the day is that initial witness of the Holy Spirit. Mm. That witness of the Holy Spirit that began on the day you first came to Christ. Can you remember that day? Can you remember the moment that you knew in your heart that you belonged to God? Can you remember the moment that you knew in your heart that this thing was real and that you would never be the same again? That moment is the moment in which the spirit bore witness for the first time with your spirit that you are a child of God. But my brother, my sister, If you can't remember that moment, if you've never had that moment. Honestly, the question is not even about whether you're saved or not saved. Mm. Who knows what moment you got saved? I don't know that's between you and that's really that's between God and God. Mm. But the moment you knew you were saved. Mm. Now that's your concern. Mm. Are you missing the witness of the Spirit? Are you able to sleep through the storm? Is there a knowing deep within your soul, I belong to Jesus. I tell you today that you have the right to know that you belong to Jesus. And if you have not experienced the witness of the Spirit, I pray that the Holy Spirit would release awakening in your heart that you would begin to seek God for the witness of the Spirit. God, cause me to know in my heart that I'm a child of God. Cause me to know that I belong to you, that Jesus has died for me. Give me that witness of the Spirit. And maybe you're here today and all you need is for the Holy Spirit to renew that witness to your heart. But whether you need it for the first time or for the 100th time, That witness of the Spirit is everything. The witness of the Spirit was why David was able to say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Thank you. Thank you. Precious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're here. Father, I pray today in the name of Jesus that even if there's only one person in this room who has never experienced that witness of the Spirit, I pray today that they would experience the witness of the Spirit. Yes, God. That just as their faith in Christ is the means of their salvation, the witness of the Spirit is the mark. God, I pray for both the means and the mark. Without the witness of the Spirit, I'm not sure if I'm saved or unsaved. Without the witness of the Spirit, I don't know if I belong to Jesus or not. Am I in or am I out? Without the witness of the Spirit, I don't know, Father, if I please you or displease you. I know you died to forgive me, but am I forgiven? Have I received your forgiveness? I know you died to save the world, but have you died to save me? I know that your mercy is great, but I need to know that your mercy is great towards me. I know that you love the world, but I need to know that you love me. I know that the call is to whosoever will, let them come. But I need to know that you've called me. I know that you're real, but I need to know that you're real to me. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and make it real. Make it real on the inside of every heart and on the inside of every soul. And to every soul that's struggling in this place today, I pray for the reminder of the witness of the Spirit. That the proof that I'll make it through this storm is that the, witness, the Spirit bears witness with my spirit that I'm a child of God. The proof, the evidence, the comfort in the midst of every storm is the witness of the Holy Spirit. I've got the witness on the inside of me and it doesn't matter, come hell or hot water, the, the Spirit bears witness with my spirit that I'm a child of God. I belong to Jesus. He's on my boat. Lord, if there's anyone in this place today, whose heart has awakened to the need for that witness of the Spirit. I pray, Father, that you would not let them leave this place today until that witness comes. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come quickly in response to our faith in Jesus Christ. Bring that witness to our hearts. I pray it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.